Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Targeted. True crime, domestic violence. We tell stories of women, men, and children who were targeted by domestic abuse. We investigate cases of family violence each season using academic research to help us interpret the events. This podcast discusses very sensitive information about abuse and violence. Although I strive for respect and balance, some details may be graphic and listener discretion is advised. I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted. I created the Targeted podcast because I'm a college professor and I think we need to stop making family violence a secret. It's time for us to tell our stories, reclaim our power, use our experiences to help, to heal, and to provoke change. Together, we can do it. Last week's episode was replete with the history of the violence Buck Thurman perpetrated against Tracy Thurman. At the end, Tracy was about to be transported to the hospital and Buck was finally arrested. We're going to leave them in the same place for our episode this week and explore some of the factors that may help explain what was happening in their relationship. Next week, we'll continue with Tracy's story of recovery and the prosecution of Buck Thurman. So there's not as much drama today, but we got a lot to learn, a lot to unpack from what happened between Tracy and Buck. I really think we can all learn from some of this research. I have some unique ideas that I'm going to talk about today, so stick with me and then let me know if you agree or disagree. I love to hear what you all think, whether it's in emails or on Facebook. You don't have to agree with me. I just appreciate the discussions we have, and as long as we're talking, we're growing and learning. And that includes me. Last season, one of the most popular episodes was the examination of why Wanda Gibson Maddox stayed in the violent relationship with Ronnie. Similarly, I want to examine the same topic with Tracy because I know this is still puzzling to many people. I've titled this episode, Why Did She Stay? Because that is the question people ask. You may have noticed that it isn't as pressing a question in Tracy's situation, though. While Tracy stayed for a while to try and work on their relationship, she also left multiple times and sought police protection to enforce her choice to leave. 
many professionals who deal with domestic violence dislike this basic question. Why did the target stay? As it seems to blame the targets of abuse instead of holding the perpetrators responsible. I agree, but I also recognize that this is a pressing concern for many people. You want to try to understand what is happening in a target's mind. As we learn, we're not victim-blaming here. We're exploring. I've had a few emails from former targets of abuse who have felt relief after hearing the episode about Wanda Maddox. Some had been very hard on themselves and were blaming themselves. When they heard of some of the research, they recognized themselves in some aspect and realized that they were both internal and external forces that made leaving difficult. To demonstrate this a little bit, let me read you a review from a listener in Australia. This is from Crozzi's Mrs. Crozzi's Mrs. wrote, quote, After 18 years of abuse, which got worse each year, I finally left, except with chronic PTSD. This podcast offers great storytelling, but also insight into how I stayed for so long, a question I beat myself up with since I left, end quote. So what you see here is sometimes the targets don't even understand why they're staying. And sometimes it's really helpful just to talk about these things and to discuss it so that we can understand what's happening. The learning isn't just for people who haven't been through abuse. The learning happens from those of us who have as well. There is power in understanding. Back to Tracy Thurman. We're curious why she stayed after that first hit, the one she characterized as a smack, or at least why she stayed after the first assault in which Buck inflicted damage. Tracy left Buck only to return to him. And I bet that sounds pretty weak to some of my listeners. For goodness sakes, Buck's an abuser. He just keeps doing it. Just leave already, right? And this is logical for those who haven't experienced intimate partner violence. But the logic breaks down for those in these relationships. There have been a lot of academic research studies about how targets of violence often undergo a leaving process rather than just leaving once or twice. In fact, the more times a target has left an abusive relationship, the more promising it is that the relationship will end. This has been written about by many researchers, with some of the early writing from Dr. Lewin Oaken, who pointed out that we tend to describe and focus on those who are targeted by abuse by describing them and their actions negatively. We'll say, aw, that poor person, that poor target, suffers from poor self-esteem, or... That person, that target, they're just too scared to do anything productive to leave. And in doing so, we neglect to mention the positive aspects about a person who's been targeted by abuse, and we ignore praise of that person. And because of this tendency to focus on the negative and not the positive, I want to make sure to point out the positive about Tracy. She worked very hard to make her relationship successful. She was loving, compassionate, patient, and hopeful. These are positive qualities in a person, not something to lament. She was also a woman of action. When Buck began the original abuse, Tracy fought back physically at first. From her accounts, it doesn't seem like she did much physically, but she impulsively tried it before abandoning it. When people ask, why didn't Tracy leave? We have to look at it and say, man, Tracy left a lot of times 
and Buck kept coming back. She left Buck multiple times. She tried leaving and staying in the same area, but when he continued his violence, she tried something else. She left and she moved far away. She went back to her hometown where she had family and access to more resources. These were all decisions that were a process of her ending the relationship. In the end, Buck was the one who wouldn't leave the relationship. When people ask, why did Tracy stay? Let's be honest. After a little while, Tracy did not stay. She left. It was Buck who kept coming back and Buck who kept assaulting her. It was Buck who didn't leave, not Tracy. Of course, though, Tracy did leave and come back a few times. And it is very typical that targets need to leave more than one time. In fact, I think leaving once and having the abusive relationship end peacefully is something like a unicorn. We dream that something like a unicorn exists. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that the only unicorns out there are in artwork or scams where somebody's attached a fake horn to a horse. And the only peaceful exits from abuse are in daydreams and the occasional Lifetime movie. There are other studies besides Oaken that support the ideas that the more times a target separates from an abuser, the more likely he or she is to leave altogether. Some of the articles include one by Michael Compton et al. called Intentions for Post-Shelter Living in Battered Women and Research by Shute et al. published in the Journal of Social Psychology. I'll include those citations just in case you're interested in looking at some of the formal research. Another set of researchers, Lindgren and Rank, developed a three-part model of the leaving process based on interviews they did with abused women. The first stage of leaving is the emotional and cognitive aspect of leaving in which the target is considering or questioning whether or not to leave. And this is a point where targets may mourn the loss of love or respect. We see this in Tracy early on. She's thinking about leaving. She talks about leaving, but she wanted her baby to be raised in a family with both a mother and father who were married. She's sad that it's not exactly how she wants it to be, but she's trying to make that work. So we see that first stage, she's questioning leaving, but she's torn because she wants her baby to be with both mom and dad. The second stage of leaving is characterized by multiple attempts to leave, which are often countered by the abuser's refusal to let go. And here we saw a lot of this happening with Tracy. She left multiple times. She left and stayed nearby. Another time she left and moved to another state. And this was countered by the abuser's refusal to let go because Beck kept following her. He wouldn't leave. The third and final phase comes when the target has a final breakup with the abuser, which would hopefully come with support from friends and family. And I would add here that I would hope they would also have the support of law enforcement. The final phase happened when Tracy left Buck for that last time and then started to get police involvement when she was trying to have him arrested, when she was trying to obtain a restraining order, when she wanted to have the police enforce the restraining order. And of course, with this, Buck still was not letting her leave. Tracy had the support of her family, 
but she didn't have the support of law enforcement. It would have been a very different end to the story if the police officers would have listened, would have recognized the danger, would have seen the peril, and responded appropriately. As we'll learn later, the city of Torrington paid a lot of money for violating Tracy Thurman's 14th Amendment rights. They did not protect her when they should have. I'm going to shift to another topic now. Last week, I mentioned that it was reasonable for Tracy to stay since she loved Buck and she had reportedly seen the reform in her father-in-law and she believed that Buck would change. I hinted at a second reason why she might think that Buck would change. And this is a little bit more nebulous. This is a little bit more of an academic concept, but I hope you understand how it can play into our everyday lives. The second reason why Tracy might think that Buck would change might be due to the romantic mystique that surrounds the concept of the power of love. The idea that love has strong transformative power is a common theme in the American culture, particularly 40 years ago. There are so many examples of media messages in which love both redeems somebody and changes the way they behave and the way they think. For those of you who remember the early 1980s, you may remember the phenomenon of a soap opera wedding that was so widely watched. It was a 1980s version of breaking the internet, except it happened before there was such a thing as the internet. The soap opera, General Hospital, featured a couple, Luke and Laura, who married on November 16, 1981. The wedding was so anticipated that 30 million people tuned in and it is still the most watched soap opera episode in American history. Even Princess Diana of the British royal family was so excited that she sent champagne to the studio to celebrate, according to USA Today. I remember Luke and Laura's wedding day, even though I didn't watch it. I remember because half of my high school class called in sick and stayed home to watch the event. So what was the big deal? Two people on a dumb show got married and a lot of people watched it. The problem was that Luke had raped Laura two years beforehand in a strangely choreographed assault scene in a disco accompanied by flashing lights and a jazzy soundtrack. The actress playing Laura was only 17 years old at the time, and her character falls devotedly in love with Luke after this, helping him to overcome all sorts of character flaws, such as stopping him from murdering someone as a paid hitman. Their romance is intense, and their wedding was the culmination of this vastly popular theme that a good woman's love will change a man's beastly tendencies. Now, this theme is typically gender-specific, with a female providing the reason for a male to change, but it's not always so. Sometimes there are role reversals. If you look at it from one angle, it seems like it should be a good thing because it shows the positive influence women can have, thus giving them some sort of power in a relationship. If you look at it through another lens, though, it permits men to make bad choices and do very little work to be better people, while it suggests that women need to do the work for both the man and for herself. But General Hospital was not the only show where this myth was perpetrated. One of the popular movies while Tracy and Buck were dating was called Arthur, and it's the story of a rich, lovable drunk who falls in love with a penniless woman 
but he drops her after his grandmother insists he marry the daughter of a businessman. He makes it all the way to the day of the wedding before suddenly becoming quote-unquote ethical and dumping his bride-to-be at the altar in favor of the woman he loves. I have significant arguments with the film because, in my mind, abandoning a woman in the chapel while hundreds of people watch is really not a good sign of quality character. Nevertheless, the point is the message from this movie is that the love and patience of the penniless woman changed Arthur from a jerk to a prince, even though I think he's still a jerk. Another of the popular movies was called Somewhere in Time. It involved a depressed Christopher Reeve meeting an old woman, finding a way to go back in time so he can be with her when she is young. Yeah, that's realistic, huh? Life is not good in the present day, so he does decide to go back in time to find her, fall in love, and it's his beautiful romance. And then they both end up dying young. But he's had a good life for the short time that he's with her. Classic TV shows such as Bewitched or I Dream of Jeannie used to play endlessly in syndication in the 70s and 80s. Both shows featured women who dealt with controlling behavior from their romantic partner and accepted it because they loved him. The women always found a way to work around their partner's personal character flaws and somehow create a happy marriage. The men were always sorry for being jerks and grateful that the women in their lives were patient and loving to them, no matter what. This overall theme is that love will find a way. It's fine from an individual TV show or an individual movie standpoint, but it becomes problematic when mediated messages, the messages that we find in media, send an overwhelming primer that true love overcomes everything. I imagine that none of the creators of the shows I've mentioned sat around plotting to create messages to persuade women that abusive relationships are great. Of course not. Instead, they told stories of people they found interesting. But when you add characters together and look at the common theme, it becomes a more monolithic message that carries weight in its breadth. If you're a good person, you will love and forgive the person who's abusing you. And if you do this well enough, the abuser will change. And it's not just that there's one show or one movie that seems to condone abuse. It's that there were dozens at the time when Tracy and Buck were dating. Honestly, why wouldn't a 19-year-old young woman think that love could make a way for Buck to change? As a side note, one of the movies I disliked the most for my daughters to watch when they were young, maybe a favorite movie of many of you who are listening here, it's a Disney movie called Beauty and the Beast. I've run into a lot of people who think it's groundbreaking because Belle was smart and she was admired for her thinking skills and her love of books. And I agree that's there. But when I boil the story down, what I see as an instruction manual of how to be lured into an abusive relationship because the love of a good woman will change an abusive man. Beast imprisoned her. He was emotionally abusive to her. He was on the edge of physical violence, yet she stayed, and it was seen as a really good thing that she did that she stayed. He would have been a beast forever without her, but her love transformed him. I did let my kids watch it, but I would not buy the video, and we always talked about it afterwards. 
because I didn't want my kids to think that that was a normal relationship. And I know Tracy Thurman didn't watch Disney's Beauty and the Beast. That came long after. But I worry about all the little girls and boys today who see it as aspirational, that they want to be like Belle. I don't want them to dream of being just like Belle. No, get out, leave the beast behind, and don't look back. All of this TV show and movie talk are really to illustrate a point that I think it's a perfectly reasonable thought pattern for someone to stay in an abusive relationship believing that the perpetrator will change. I didn't come up with these ideas on my own. It's a part of basic media theory in the communication field. In the 1980s, many communication researchers became curious as to whether or not exposure to violence through media was correlated with greater tolerance or even approval of violence. A number found that it is. Notably, Christine Hansen and Randy Hansen, psychology professors at Oakland University in Michigan, they conducted an experiment in which they showed one experimental group a set of music videos that visually demonstrated gendered roles that displayed sexually aggressive males. Another group was shown videos with neutral gendered roles. Those that had viewed the sex role stereotypical videos altered their impressions afterwards about what was acceptable behavior. So after seeing the videos that had the more aggressive behavior, that group thought that it was more acceptable to behave in that way. Another researcher, P. Dieter, suggests that those who watch a lot of media that include relationships with violence tend to normalize this behavior so that even in their own real life, abuse and violence are considered natural parts of love and sex. Last, Dr. Julia Wood, professor of communication at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, has also studied this area quite a bit. She wrote, quote, substantial violence towards women punctuates movies, television, including children's programming, rock music, and music videos, desensitizing men and women alike to the unnaturalness and unacceptability of force and brutality between human beings. The idea with all this is that media can provide a sort of priming for us. The word priming can mean preparing in this sense. You may have heard the common expression priming the pump, and this means that they're helping the pump get ready to work. Media can provide scripts for people. In other words, they provide examples that our brain can call upon when we're looking for ways to act or react. This generally happens at the subconscious level, but it can be conscious as well. This is at work in all different aspects of media, and most of the time, this is a very normal, fine, unobjectionable sort of thing. When we see something in the media, it helps us understand how something works. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say we have a teenager named Jordan, and Jordan has been looking at Taylor from across the room, and Jordan thinks Taylor is amazing. Jordan would like to ask Taylor out on a date. Now, Jordan has never asked anyone out on a date before, has no personal experience on what works or doesn't work. But because Jordan has probably watched some movies, TV shows, where others have asked people out on dates, Jordan has some scripts ready and can pull from those in order to figure out what are the right words to say to ask Taylor out on this date. 
And in this case, it's perfectly harmless, normal, natural, but it's priming the pump. When Jordan goes up to Taylor, Jordan just, without thinking about it, it's subconscious, will just pull those words, pull those ideas out based on the scripts seen in TV shows and movies. In the context of an abusive relationship, though, this priming can be dangerous. Let's think of the first time that a perpetrator hits the target. If this is the first time the target has ever been physically assaulted, he or she doesn't have any personal experience to guide how they should react. So the brain pulls experiences from the media and runs through some possible reactions. If the target has seen a number of movies, TV shows, or videos that show violence as normal and have shown the appropriate reaction to respond lovingly to a perpetrator, then the brain may process a loving reaction as the optimal script to follow. But listen closely, because this is important. Even though it's understandable that someone thinks that the appropriate reaction to abuse is to respond with love and forgiveness, it is not realistic, and it is something we must teach to girls, boys, women, and men. Leave. While the perpetrators may change, you do not need to stay around and find out if they do. If they change, great, that's wonderful. Now that perpetrator can begin a new relationship with a new person without the abusive baggage that framed the relationship with you. With all of this, recognize that mediated messages and images can influence us, but one of the best counters to it is critical thinking, discussion, and reflection. We may still view the media, but be aware of the power it may have, and by doing that, we can inoculate ourselves against unintended impact by priming our own pumps and questioning things such as relationships and violence when you experience it in something such as a book, movie, TV show, or song. You can watch it, you can enjoy the entertainment value, but you can also recognize it and discuss it with other people and say, hmm, that was a really interesting story, but that's not how life works. And doing that can help you be able to easier dismiss a mediated message that tells us that a good person forgives and puts up with abuse for a long time. If you or someone you know desires to leave an abusive relationship, please seek help. Recognize that even if someone returns to an abusive relationship, that can be a good sign if you're looking at the long game, because it means the target is more likely to leave for good in the future. I know there's many friends and family who get disheartened when a target returns to that relationship. I hope you can keep in mind this leaving process and recognize that Ah, oh, my friend has made it through that first phase. They've gone into the second phase. I'm sad that they went back. But you know what? That third phase might come around where they leave the relationship for good. So let's try to think of this leave-taking process as normal and going through each step is a sign of progress. Tracy Thurman was a strong woman who left. But Buck hunted her down and continually assaulted her. She went through this three-stage model of the leaving process, and while on that third and final step, she needed the help of law enforcement to allow her to be released from the abuse. 
Next week, we're going to talk about the second part of Tracy's story. We are going to talk about the extent of her injuries. We're going to talk about her recovery. We're going to talk about what happens to Buck. And that might make you a little bit mad. It did me. In future episodes, we'll talk more about the lawsuit that Tracy brought against the city and how that created changes around the country to better protect people who have been targeted by abuse. Unfortunately, there are still problems today, and I continue to hear stories that break my heart. But I believe there are many people whose lives have been changed for the better after Tracy insisted that law enforcement must value every human life. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks so much for joining us at Targeted Podcast, True Crime, Domestic Violence. If you're interested in my sources or research, I include a bibliography on my website www.targetedpodcast.com. You can also find all of the episodes there if you want to listen online. If you're looking to connect with others who listen to the show, please consider joining our closed Facebook group called Targeted Podcast. Just request to join and you will be approved. You can tweet at me on Twitter. My handle is Targeted Podcast please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you use and writing a sentence or two about what it is that you like. It really helps other listeners to find us. And if you have constructive criticism, I do want to hear it, but I'd appreciate it if you could email it to me at targetedpodcast at gmail.com. If you live in the Southern United States, Targeted Podcast is going to participate in the Great Southern True Crime Podcast Meetup on Saturday, October 13th, 2018 in Atlanta, Georgia. I think it's going to be an amazing meetup with a lot of your favorite podcasts represented, including The Fall Line, Southern Fried True Crime, Trace Evidence, Corpus Delecti, Moms and Murder, Pleasing Terrors, and a Northern podcaster is even coming down to join us, already gone. I hope that you'll come to mix and mingle with hosts and fellow fans alike. I'd love to meet you. Please stay tuned for promos at the end of the podcast and check them out if they sound interesting. I'll include links to them in my show notes. As we end, let me emphasize that if you or someone you know is targeted by abuse, you are not alone. There are resources and people available to you. I've included some contact information in my show notes and on the website about organizations in the United States. If you live in another country and you know of an excellent organization that helps targets of domestic violence, please send me the information for possible inclusion on the website as well, because I'd love to include additional information for international listeners. Leaving an abusive relationship can be one of the most dangerous times for a target, and I strongly encourage you to reach out for support. It may be the hardest thing you ever do, but it will be worth it. I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted. 
Peace, my friends. Peace. Mens rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Mens Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. Thank you.